0: First Peter three, verses one to twelve. We'll read it as everyone's getting settled, and then we'll pray. First Peter three one to twelve says this: Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity you give us this morning to look at your word, to be challenged by it, to be encouraged by it. Um, Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us this morning. Teach us, Lord, how to walk in humility um, how to walk harmoniously uh, of one mind, God. Help us to be um, steadfast in our love for one another. Lord, I pray you would, um, that you would take these words, that you would use them, Lord. I just yield to you, Holy Spirit. May you convict our hearts and challenge us to be more like Jesus, to follow him more each and every day. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, here here comes the question. the question. You love a good question. Hattie loves a good question. Here's, here's the question. And ho I, is running late. He said he's going to be here. This question, I would love his I love his input on this, but he'll he'll get here. Maybe he'll get here at, in time, but I'm not sure. Um, so, who here? is, let's put it this way, is willing to indicate publicly that they have a tattoo? Yes. He indicates publicly because it is very clearly seen. Yeah, okay. Tattoo, tattoo people? Proud tattoo people? Yeah, okay, I got a quick quick raise. There's a quick raise, all right. Yeah, okay, yep. Um. So, why? Anybody want to say why? Any reasons why? A tattoo is good. You want it, Abby? I see. I see thoughts. <laughs> okay. So some are regretted. Is that, or okay? All right. All right. Okay. So declarations of truth. Right. Saying something true to yourself by committing it to your skin right okay yeah other reasons for tattoos reasons you may have tattoos anyone want to share Hattie doesn't have any tattoos but I, I she might have a reason that someone might have a, get a tattoo I I've, I don't know I have a, for a little who to have a, a walk-up they like, they like them okay yeah I mean, for appearance how they show them all, they right them to all their friends because they think it's- right cuz it looks cool yeah okay cuz it looks cool so it appears cool so there's a number of reasons, I won't make anybody share, but there are other reasons out there. There are a number of reasons people get tattoos to honor people, okay? Someone passes away, you want to remember them constantly, so you get a tattoo, right? It's a pretty permanent statement, right? I mean, unless you go through some serious removal process to get it off, to put a, put a name there, right? Um, so it, it may be to make an identity statement, like this is who I am, right? Or this is who I want to be, maybe, right? Um, it may be a commitment that you're making or may, may simply be artistic, right? It may just simply be because this is kind of a trendy thing and I like this trend and I want to make something really cool on my arm. I, again, if Josue comes in, we'll get his, his input later and, uh, and, and we'll hear from that. But um, tattoos, it's an outward expression, right? It, it's a very visible, for, especially in our culture now, it's become more and more popular to outwardly prescribed things on your arms, right, and on your legs, or maybe even full body, right? We've got one of our customers that comes in, full body tattoo, like up to the neck and awesome. It's all Zelda, actually. It's beautiful. It's actually, it's actually a really well done tattoo. Um, shout out to Mike, the trainer. Um, but anyway, so these tattoos can be an outward expression of something that is going on. Usually the tattoo is about something deeper than what is on the skin. So, we're going to circle back to that. Just keep that, just file that away uh, in in your minds there. We'll come back to that. Um, So, today we're talking about picking up in Peter's section here in chapter 3 about wives and husbands. And we're actually concluding a much wider uh, section, and we're we're going to start out with the first word here in verse 1, which says, likewise. Likewise, wives. Uh, Just similar to. When you come across the word therefore in Scripture, you need to ask why it's therefore, what it's therefore, right? And so go back and reverse, right? And so I want to remind you that in the past couple of weeks, we've been in this section of Scripture where Peter is speaking, again, to a persecuted church in the region of Turkey about how to operate in various relationships that they have with society, uh, with their employers, and now we're going to be talking about with spouses, and you might remember that kind of the, the content of that is the recognition that uh, the Christian that is receiving this message is in a vulnerable place, right? The Christians in Turkey at this time are under persecution by the culture, not official persecution yet, but the culture has persecuted them for their belief in Jesus as a God. Okay, they believe in other gods and looking at Christians and saying you're evildoers because you believe that Jesus is God. And so they're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus because they are being labeled evildoers by their culture. They're saying, your morals don't match up with our morals, right? And so they're under persecution from the culture. They're in a vulnerable position. Same with slaves unto masters. They're in a vulnerable position. They don't have control over their station. They're stuck in uh, in this relationship with a master where they're vulnerable. And, And Peter speaks to them and says, don't just rebel and do evil to your master because he is doing evil, but rather do good so that your master who does not know Jesus might have the opportunity to see Jesus within you. And so it's with this context of uh, of, a person in a vulnerable position, a, a Christian, a believer in a vulnerable position, getting advice from Peter or instruction from Peter about how to operate in that vulnerability under someone who is not a believer. That's the, that's the context, right? He ended the last passage with referring us to Jesus, right? Who, who was so vulnerable that he went to a cross to die for us and actually willingly submitted himself to that vulnerability. Walked into it, entrusted himself to the one who judges all, God, right? To judge between what would happen if a perfect son of man died on the cross. Jesus entrusts himself to the judge who judges rightly. And so, with this, Peter turns to wives and husbands, and first to wives, he spends the most time with wives, and the reason he's spending the most time with wives is that culturally, and in most cases probably, um, the wives are in the most vulnerable position. They're the primary one that is vulnerable at this stage, and so... Again, picking up with Peter's themes, he's going to spend the lion's share of his time speaking to the wives, who may be Christians while their husbands are not, and giving them wisdom about how to operate under this authority. So, with that, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, the word being the gospel, right? Even if your husbands do not believe in Christ Jesus, you should submit yourself to them, come under them. Even if they do not obey the word, what we should say is that it does not say, even if they uh, like do evil to you, okay, even if they're abusive, right? Like that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the word. Even if they are not following Jesus, right? Not following the gospel that Jesus has preached this salvation through Christ. If they're, even if they're not, you should submit yourselves to them. And he gives us the why in verse 1 and 2, the rest of verses 1 and 2. That they may be one without a word, but by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful or reverent and pure conduct. So again, Peter is speaking to those wives who have become believers and saying to them, don't try and win your husband over with speech or words or, or uh, arguments. Simply submit yourself to him, right? And win him over by your pure conduct, by your reverent conduct. I want to say quickly about the word reverent in terms of who it's referring to because it kind of sounds like, if you read it quickly, that you're, the wife he's calling the wife to be reverent to her husband. But the truth is, He's calling her to be reverent to God. So as your husband watches on you, this husband who isn't a believer, watches on you who are a believer, he's going to see your reverent fear of the Lord Almighty and your respectful, pure conduct. And by this, he might be saved. The goal in this uh, this instruction from Peter um, is is not to uh, subject the wife to every whim of her husband, but rather that the wife's really, probably primary desire, hopefully as a Christian whose spouse is not a Christian, her primary desire is for her spouse to become a Christian, right? I mean, she has come to an understanding that she has an eternal, incorruptible hope in Christ Jesus. And her husband does not have that. So his instruction to the wife is, Listen, don't worry about trying to convince him with words. He might not receive that very well. Anybody shocked by that? That husbands might not receive words of instruction well? Anybody? Is that a shocking? Anybody Anybody shocked by that? No? Okay. Wow, that's so surprising that that's a real thing for everyone. Okay, cool. Um, so, rather, as he looks upon your conduct and your reverent fear of God, listen, he is watching a woman be in reverent fear of god and pure conduct in the midst of a culture that is calling her evil so there's a clear conflict going on like theologically in the home and so she's he, he, saying listen don't try and win her with word win him with words rather just let your conduct speak let it speak to him what god is doing in your life that they may be one. Um, a, a commentator that I read referred to a man named James Slaughter who said this about kind of what we should hear when we hear this, this term reverent. And I thought it was helpful, so I wanted to share this quote uh, from James Slaughter from Dallas Theological Seminary. He says this. Uh, I'm get, uh, he says, um, this reference to being reverent is that Uh, Wives do not submit in order to satisfy a husband's vanity or promote his reputation. Neither did they submit to show how godly they are, nor to avoid conflict, nor to impress neighbors, nor to manipulate their husbands, not even because she thinks he is wise. But rather, she submits because of her relationship and her trust in God. The reason that Peter is calling the wife to submit to her husband is not because of anything in her husband, or anything in the culture, or anything in herself. The reason is because she is trusting God with her circumstance. She recognizes that her station is a vulnerable one, and she worships a king who came vulnerably to the cross and died for her. And so she's willing to step in really powerfully, actually, and... Humble herself before someone who doesn't even believe this. And Peter says, By this, your husband's going to have hope in what you have hope in. She submits in this relationship because she trusts God. He goes on to say in verses 3 and 4 not only don't worry about convincing him through your words, but also. Don't try and convince him through your appearance. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I want to pick up on that idea of imperishable beauty because earlier in 1 Peter, and I'm forgetting the verse, I'm just remembering it now, um, He speaks of this gospel hope that we have as a hope that is imperishable, right? It's not going to expire. It is a hope that is eternal, and that same beauty is now within you as a believer, and so Peter says to these wives who are believers, let the imperishable beauty that is within you, let that be the thing that speaks to your husband's heart. You're not going to convince him by your words or your externals. You're actually going to convince him by what is happening inside of you. Verses 5 and 6, he gives, uh, steps out and gives us some examples uh, to follow in this. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. And when it's speaking of the holy women, you know, he lists the plural there, and our assumption is, given that he starts with Sarah, Abraham's wife, that the holy women would include uh, Sarah and Rebecca, Isaac's wife, and Rachel and Leah as well. That these women, they hoped in God in spite of the fact that sometimes their husbands were doing some weird stuff that didn't really make sense, right? Right? that maybe looked like a fleshly action, one that was based in fear rather than trust in God. And so his encouragement to them is, listen, you you have some examples in this. There were holy women of the Bible who also trusted their husbands, submitted unto them, not because they agreed with their husband, but rather because they trusted God, right? In fact, they might have disagreed with their husband in the course of action, But even in spite of that, it was better for them in the end of the decision to go, okay, trust you. Not because I agree with you, but because I trust God who's in control of this situation. And so, yeah, I'm going to go along with this. It made me call into question and think about the times that Sarah is walking around with Abraham, and Abraham's like, hey, just pretend you're my sister. It's kind of true, you know? You think she, like, wanted to be, oh, I'm the sister, I'm just, this is my brother, right? Like, there's some of those cases where you're like, I'm not, how does she feel about that? Like, you know, I know maybe she understands the dynamics and goes, okay, it makes sense to me. I understand that we might die if, you know, whatever, and it might kill you and all this kind of stuff. Like, there's some, there are some threats here. But also, I, didn't, I really hadn't thought about this until looking at this passage. Like, maybe Sarah actually was like, hey, we can be who we are because God is our protector. Like, like think, I don't, we don't know the conversation that was happening between Abraham and Sarah during that time. Abraham decides to go, hey, let's tell a half-truth and just call you my sister, because it kind of is, um, and let's go forward with this. But was Sarah going, this is not true. <laughs> if God called us here, isn't he going to, you know, help us walk in integrity and in spite of that, protect us? I think so. But she went along with it. Why? Because she trusted or agreed with Abraham? Not necessarily. But definitely she trusted in God. She didn't adorn herself with outside appearance. She trusted God. And we, he says in, in verse 6, of, uh, back to 1 Peter 3, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Sarah wasn't afraid. Right? She wasn't afraid of the things that were frightening. She was in a very frightening situation. They didn't have a home. They were literally nomads walking around with no property and you know well, no land, I should say. I think they had they had lots of property, actually. <laughs> a pretty good group of people. But they had no land to call their own. They didn't know where they're going. They're waiting for God to show this. It could be a frightening spot. And yet she was not afraid of what was going on. She hoped in God. Um, another commentator that I read said this about, uh, about this, this, uh, this exclamation from Peter that she hoped in God, or that these women hoped in God. It says this, This comment is instructive, for it informs us that these women did not submit to their husbands because they believed their husbands were superior to them intellectually or spiritually. They submitted to their husbands because they were confident that God would reward all those who put their trust in him. Again, so it's not about them being on the same page. It's not about them uh, saying, well, you're smarter than me, so I'm just gonna, you can make the decisions. It's not about any of that. It's not even receiving that as a thing. It's just saying, okay, I am entrusting myself to my husband. I believe that God has given me, him to me. And even if I intellectually disagree with what the next step is, I'm going to trust him. Because I agree with him? No. Because I agree with God. And, and so in spite of what we do, God is going to work this out. And so I can actually submit and walk under this and know that God is my protector and he's the one that's going to watch out for me and my husband even if we go the wrong way. That's a serious level of trust, right? To know that you're right, (laughs) right? Any ladies ever known they were right? No? I didn't get an amen there? No amens from that? Okay, all right. All right, I thought if ever we could get an amen out of our crowd, that that might be the one. Uh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay, there we go. Okay, go. Okay, okay. <sighs> she might have known she was right, but she submitted knowing that God is more powerful than who is right or wrong. God has instituted this marriage together And she's going, yep, I come under that and I trust God in the midst of this. Wherever we may lead, he has his hand on me. Sarah trusted God. He hoped, she hoped in God. And so Peter says, if you do likewise in your circumstance, in a culture that assumes that you will take on the belief set of the husband, okay, so in in this region of Turkey that Peter is writing to, the assumption, regardless of what your belief set was, Was that the wife would take on the household gods of her husband? So imagine that dynamic in your home if you're a Christian woman and your husband is not a Christian and is worshiping his household gods, and the expectation on you is that you also worship his household gods and you do not. There's some real tension going on there, both in the house as well as in the culture, and so he says to them, do not be afraid of things that are frightening. But in all that you can, not recanting Christ, right? But in all that you can, not by words, not by appearances, but rather by the reverent, pure conduct, subject yourselves to your husband. And guess what? That's how he's going to be won over. So Peter says, if you do this, then you have become children and daughters of Sarah. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I love the Bible because it speaks to situations. It does not assume that you're just in like some bubble of la-la land, right? Too often like we, we hear, okay, do not be anxious about anything. I'm like, man, the Bible says I'm not supposed to be anxious. Well, I'm anxious. Well, guess what? The Bible knows you're anxious, And so it says, "Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Does it say that all circumstances of fear will be removed? No, it just says to cling to the truth of the gospel and his peace will surround you, and to the wives here that are in a culture that is persecuting those who don 't believe in Uh, who believe in Christ as evildoers in a home where their husband also doesn't believe in Christ he says do not fear things that are frightening that would be a frightening thing he says become like the holy women of God who hoped in God and used to adorn themselves not with exterior things but rather by submitting to their Lord in spite of Knowing the truth when their husband didn't know the truth, that's hard and frightening. So I hope that you've seen, as we walk through that passage, about women submit to your wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah. The intention is not uh, just like. Blanket obedience to every whim of your husband or his concerns. That's not. That's not what it is. Just like last week's passage about slavery, slaves being, slaves in scripture being used as a, as a proof text for the goodness of uh, the system of slavery. Right. That, that wasn't what it was talking about. Right. Peter was talking to a vulnerable person, who should desire that their person in authority over them would come to know Christ. In the same way, here, Peter is not saying. Oh, just do whatever he says. He's in control of everything. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, humble yourself before this man who does not know the Lord Jesus. Humble yourself with the imperishable beauty that is within. And concentrate on that. Trust in the Lord with pure conduct and reverent fear of God not in wise words of persuasion or adornment of the flesh, but rather with a pure conduct and a heart for the Lord. He turns uh, then in verse 7 to husbands and says again, likewise. Likewise, husbands. What is likewise here? The reverse case, right? Uh, for the first two we have, uh, we have citizens under authority of the nation, right? Governors and the emperor. We are called to honor the emperor and all those who are sent by the emperor, even though they're persecuting us, right? Honor them. That's a hard call. I'm glad we don't live in that situation, right? And then uh, to the slave and the master, he says, same thing. Do good. Don't do evil just because you're in an evil system. Rather, do good in spite of the fact that you're in an evil system. Didn't Jesus do the exact same thing? Take on the cross. What an evil system that those who just claim something that's not true are crucified on a cross. How evil could it be? Yet Jesus took on that. So, in the same way. But in the house, it's got to go both directions right? I mean, the husband might be a slave to a master, and the husband might be, is a citizen of the country, and the wife is a citizen of the country, and the wife might be a slave to a master, right? Those are all kind of applicable, but here we're looking at a case where these, this couple is married, and so likewise husband. This instruction is is for a husband who is a believer, and his wife is not a believer. likewise husbands live with understanding live in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered first we're to live with understanding what is the understanding not just like superior knowledge but understanding of the word understanding of the lord an understanding of of what God has done in you, right? Likewise, we're hearkening back to verses chapter 2, verses 21 to 25, where it's talking about Christ taking on the cross for us. Likewise, in this way, with an understanding of what Christ has done, show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. So this is fun, obviously. Um, We get a passage about wives and husbands, and then in the instruction to men, we get to talk about women being weaker vessels. So uh, I, I love my job. It's just, just great. Um, but there's a couple of things to point out here that I think are helpful. First of all, uh, most likely, like some of the content of this is that the, per, the, the woman is a weaker, physically weaker. It's kind of like the thrust of the language. I think there's more to it than that. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But first off... Um, on the physically weaker side of things, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm sick, I'm pretty sure I'm sicker than my wife. i <laughs> got that man cold syndrome, you know what I mean? Like, And so, like, when I'm sick, I feel so weak compared to, like, when my wife's sick. Because when my wife's sick, she's, like, yeah, she takes care of herself and takes care of everybody else. She, like, takes care of me even when she's, you know, like, she, you know, Man sick is different. I'm just saying, if we're talking about weaker vessels when it comes to sickness, no, I'm not. When we're talking, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm speaking the truth about myself here is what I'm saying. You need to listen. Okay? Uh, Mans sick is different. Like, we don't take it as well. Okay? Uh, whatever it is, we're not good at being sick. Okay? Uh, we, we are the weaker vessel in that. I would say that's a general truth. Okay? Uh, And also, this is not a a statement across the board, right? Like, uh, anybody watch UFC? Anybody watch UFC? Amanda Nunez? I don't want to get in a fight with her. She is not physically weaker than me. She would beat me up, right? Okay? So it's not... Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so that's the thrust here. Um, So physically weaker is kind of some of the thrust there, but also, I think a big piece of this is culturally weaker. Like, there's weakness here. And we kind of talked about it already, but um, the wife in this situation is expected to take on the household gods of the husband. So think about it in reverse, right? The husband's a Christian. Culturally, he should assume upon his wife, presume upon his wife, that she too trusts in Christ. She should, he should, culturally, he should just presume she'll be a believer because of what the culture says of her. She's culturally weaker. She should take on the gods of the husband because the husband is so much more superior or whatever. First of all, the male versus female thing, I meant to grab in a couple of verses of this. Uh, in Galatians as well as Ephesians and other places, male and female are equal. Okay, Genesis, go back to Genesis. I meant to bring that in too. He created the male and female. In the image of God, he created them, right? Okay, so from the standpoint of God, there's not a difference male and female in terms of value and worth in the image of God. So that's not what's being said here by weaker vessel. Peter is speaking to the ladies who are in this region and saying, they're weaker vessel in this culture. they're, They're presumed upon to take on your gods, And so it's even more important for husbands to honor their wives in this context because the believing husband knows that faith is an inward commitment, not according to the cultural norm, right? So she's got a couple things making her into a weaker position. First of all, the culture says she has to take on the gods of the husband. Second, the culture says that his belief set is evil, could you imagine, like, the dynamics of that? Well, everyone's calling you evil because you think Jesus is a god and rose from the dead. So, you're obviously wrong. That's probably what's going through head. But also, the culture says, I'm supposed to take on your gods, which are evil. So, you kind of get the position that she's in a little bit more. And so, Peter says to husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to her as a vessel that is in a weaker position, right? You don't want her to just take on your gods by presumption of culture because you know if you're a Christian that it's not about showing face, right? It's not about putting on an image of some kind that isn't true. It's about truly understanding that Christ died for your sins and that in him alone you have eternal hope. You can't just presume that upon your spouse. She has to know that and and receive that. It can't just be taken on because you're married. It's got to be taken on in her heart. And so the call to the husband to show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel is to say you're not to use your position as husband to force your wife into faith in Christ Jesus because a work has to be happening in her heart to receive this. You can't just receive it culturally. You have to receive it in you. So husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, and so that your prayers may not be hindered. You've been united as one person, in this and, and so the point is that the husband needs to walk in humility here. And in the same way that the wife is called to, by pure conduct and by holy living, present the gospel to her spouse, so too the husband needs to show honor to his wife in his actions and in his words, recognizing the weaker position that she is in knowing something very deep that she has been united to a man who trusts in Jesus as the Lord of life and that she will see this she's going to see this and there's some kind of like debate or conversation to be had about this heirs of the grace of life is it, did she like receive salvation through no, no it's not I mean, that's what it's saying and why again should he show honor to his wife that his prayers might not be hindered Again, for the husband, what, what could possibly be his chief prayer that he would desire in life at this point? If he is a believer and his wife is not a believer, his chief prayer is that she would come to know Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And so, husband, do not hinder your wife's salvation by forcing a belief set on, but rather by walking in humility and in good conduct, honoring her, as one who is a weaker in a weaker position. The scarier interpretation of this is the one that's traditionally taken from this verse, which is, show honor to your, uh, to your wife as the weaker vessel who is an heir, of, heir with you of grace of life so that your prayers not, might not be hindered in general. Okay? Well, there's an aspect of this that says, listen, if you're not willing to honor your wife, who's in a weaker position than you, then your prayers are going to be hindered. And again, like, we talk about prayer, it's so hard to understand, okay? We can't, like, I'm not going to sit up here and try to make some chart that shows the powers of prayers from 10 to 1 or whatever, how you get a 10, powerful 10 prayer. People do that kind of stuff, okay? There's that stuff out there, okay? Like, how do you get a powerful prayer? Listen, I don't care. I'm just going to do what the Bible says and trust the Lord, okay? And so, he says, if my... If I want my prayers to not be hindered, whatever that means, then I need to show honor to the Lord, or to, to my wife. Because when I'm not showing honor to my wife, who is in a weaker position, he says, my, my prayers are going to be hindered. Dang. So, like, if I have things that are on my heart to pray for as a husband, I shouldn't expect much response if I'm over here mistreating my wife. It's not going to happen. My prayers will be hindered. God says, I don't like that. I'm, I so much don't like your mistreatment of your wife that I'm going to hinder your prayers. It's like a discipline feature that the Lord has in marriage. He's okay? like, you don't want to honor your wife? That's great. I won't honor you. Um, man, it's good to dig into the Word on these things because every time I do, especially with these, these passages about wives and husbands, like these passages are sometimes scary, but when you, when you dig into them, it's so beautiful, right? It, like God has set up such a beautiful, harmonious relationship here that He wants to grow and flourish. And He's set up parameters in that that dictate so much, Right? like the discipline of your prayers, wow. So Peter wraps up this section again, which is about a person in a position who knows and trusts in Jesus under various authorities of people who don't know and trust in Jesus and says this in verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, or be harmonious, is what it says. Be sympathetic. Have brotherly love. Have a tender heart. Have a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It says, listen, all of you, whether slave or free, all of you, whether... Uh, a part of the Roman government or not a part of the Roman government. All of you, whether wife or husband or child, all of you, be harmonious. Be sympathetic to those that are around you. Love those with a brotherly love. Have a tender heart and a humble mind. Instead of returning evil for evil, return evil with a blessing. And he gives us a promise from Psalm uh, 32, I think it is. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So i want to walk away with a few things uh, from this passage. And the first is this. And this kind of thinks about the whole section, really, but um, I think what Peter's been trying to get across to us is, as followers of Jesus, every relationship you're in is a kingdom relationship. Every relationship you're in is a kingdom relationship as a believer. Whether you're a civilian under political authority, whether you're an employee under a boss, whether uh, you're a spouse, right? Each of your relationships is is a kingdom relationship. God has a purpose for the kingdom within it. God has placed us where we are, around the people we're around, so that they might seek God and know him. As Acts 17, 26 to 27 says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, why? That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. No matter what your circumstance is, God is not far from you. He's the one that has set the time of your living. He is the one that has set the place of your living. Whatever system you are in or under, he's speaking to you and saying, I've put you here for a purpose. Actually, a couple purposes. The first is that you, yourself, might seek God. That your heart might be stirred with affection to the God of all creation. That's why I've determined the place of your boundary and the time of your living. Can you think about, like, how long the world has existed? How many billions of people have gone through, right? Right? And he's determined your 75 to 100 years of life in your geographical context, whatever that may be, or however many places that might have been, right? His purpose in doing that is that you might seek God and find that wherever you are, at whatever time you're in, he is not far from you. And so the flip side of that is I think what Peter is getting at throughout these passages that he's chasing after your heart, but he's also chasing after the hearts of all those who are also around you at this time and at this place. So there's a personal application. He's determined your place and your time, but he's also determined y'all's place and y'all's time, right? So look around at the people that are around you and realize that God has determined our time and our place. And not just this room, this room, yes, praise God, but also outside this room. The job you work, the relationship you're in, the government that you're under, right? These are all things that God is in authority over, is determined for you to walk in. Why? So that all those around you and yourself might seek God And know that he is not far from you. He is chasing after your heart, so do not be afraid. He is near. He is also chasing after the hearts of all those he's placed around you. And so every relationship that you are in or around you is one that is opportunity for the kingdom to go forth in boldness. There's no accident in the people God has given you influence with and relationship with. So pray for those around you. Pray for them. It's not some accident that you rub shoulders with the people that you rub shoulders with. Okay, so often we get apathetic about life because there's so many people in the world and there's so much destruction and so many challenging things happening. There's fires in the north and there's wars over here. and It it can get very uh, uh, overwhelming, right? But just stop for a second and and look around at the circle around you. Stop worrying about all the things in this world that you cannot control and look at the people that God has placed around you and go, God has placed these people here for a purpose that we might testify to the glory of Christ Jesus and they too might come to an eternal understanding of the imperishable beauty that Jesus Christ gives us with his hope. So don't be overly burdened. Jesus has given you exactly what you can handle. And it's in the people and places that he's put you in. And so look around. And instead of being overwhelmed by headlines or tweets or Instagram, whatever the things you're seeing out there in the netherworld or whatever, look around at the people and the faces that are here and pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict and challenge and guide those unto Christ Jesus. second this god cares about the internal value not the external appearance 1 Samuel 16:7 was speaking of David it said that the lord said this to Samuel do not look on his appearance or his height of stature because i have rejected him in those places <laughs> i have rejected david in stature and appearance right For the Lord sees not as a man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on at the heart. I talked about the example of tattoos. why you missed the tattoo example, bro. We'll get your opinion later. Talk about tattoos, right? You can can put tattoos on, on the outside. They could be statements of truth, right? But often, the things that we're putting on, are they true inside? That's what matters the most. Is who I'm projecting on the outside, the things that are true on the inside, because that's what matters the most. And I actually love the challenge of a tattoo, because it's like, I'm this, right? This is the truth I need, and I'm so confident that this is the truth I need, that I'm going to put it on my arm, and I'm going to remember it. I don't want a tattoo, but I respect it for that (laughs) aspect of it. Because it is an external thing that's pointing me to something that is internal, I hope, or else it's being used wrongly. God cares about what is happening inside. And just like he said to the wives, he cares about what is inside, not the exterior adornments, not the words that you might convince your husband with, but rather, what is God doing in your heart? Let the imperishable beauty shine forth. And finally, in in all of this, just be encouraged. You do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with you. We are called to take on things in the same way Christ took them on. And so I'm reminded again of this section from last week that says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. What are his steps? He committed no sin, And there was no deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." In every relationship that God has placed around you, take on the nature of Christ. They might persecute you. They might revile you. They might say you're evil. They might look down on you. They might disagree with you. Expect that. And yet still hope in the imperishable beauty of Christ Jesus, who took on the cross for us. Let's pray. Lord, so grateful for your word, so grateful for the challenge of your scripture. Lord, you speak so directly to our hearts and um, you challenge us right where we're at. And so God, we want to yield our lives to you. We are so quick to pick them up and control them, to pick them up and make decisions for ourselves when you know the right way to walk in. And so God, we just yield to you even when circumstances look difficult or hard we yield to you. Lord I pray that if we're walking in a vulnerable position that our hope would not be in things of this world but rather in Christ. And Lord, I pray for those you've placed around us that we would walk in humility and brotherly love and show and display the love of Christ to those you've placed around us, whether inside the church or outside the church. No matter who it might be, God, may we be like Jesus that those who don't know you might come to know you seek you and find you and find that you're not far off. There are no hoops to jump through, no deeds to do to earn salvation, just complete yielded trust in the sacrifice of the Son of God on the cross for our sins. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.